there, Ruby fans! Welcome back to another episode of Ruby Redux here on Rooster Team Radio. Today, we are talking about Volume 7, Episode 2, A New Approach. Uh, I'm Megan Salinas, and uh, let me go ahead and introduce my fantastic co-host. With me, as always, the fantastic Katie Cullen. Hi, all my buddies! Joining us here in Los Angeles, the lovely Stacey Shuttleworth. Hello, hello! And calling in all the way across the country is the wonderful Mark B. Donica. I miss us. Oh, it's so nice getting together to chat about the show. I miss talking with you guys. Um, so, guys, let's go ahead and get into it. This was a very exposition-heavy episode. It was very reminiscent, in my opinion, of Volumes 4 and 5 with how very dialogue heavy those seasons were and that was kind of a hit and miss for a lot of people so let's go ahead and dig into this episode what did we all think of this episode let's start with stacy you know i like exposition to an extent i like the world building bits where we are we kind of have quiet moments to start taking in what we're going to then be seeing in action through the rest of the season and i think that ruby has historically done a pretty good job of yes sometimes doing some big info dumps but then seeing how that info dump actually plays out and affects our storyline always pays off in the end so i I don't mind them katie you know, you said that not everyone was super fond of 4 and 5, and you know, people are allowed to be wrong. Um, I personally really do enjoy when Rooster Teeth does exposition and exposition-heavy stuff, especially in Ruby, because they've kind of cornered the market on this. They're very, very good at fitting their exposition in with their story and making it feel natural. Um, when we have gotten the exposition dumps, such as World of Remnant in the first couple of seasons, and the massive, by the way, here's your backstory delivered by a genie episode, they felt natural. And even though those were pure exposition, those bits, those were still fun to watch. For now, the way they're integrating exposition actually makes a lot of sense with the way that the world is set up. When you run into someone you haven't seen in a while, when you're trying to get on the same page, you want to give a sit rep, you want to get a sit rep, it makes sense that they want to do this. As frustrating from the other side of the fourth wall as global communications being down can be because you really just want these people to be able to talk to each other. It makes so much sense and helps so much for the exposition that we're getting. Because even in this episode, it's, okay, what has Ironwood been up to? And we don't feel the need to try to tell it in flashback, and we don't feel the need to try to do anything else with it. We have a couple of characters who haven't seen Ironwood for probably the better part of a year, or whatever the timeline has been since the end of season three. So it makes a lot of sense for them to show up and be like, let's get on the same page, and for Ironwood to say, okay, here's what I've been up to. Like, the exposition, it makes sense, and it's really well executed. So I did enjoy this. I think they do it well. What do you think, Mark? It... It varies, you know, sometimes ultimately it's hard to dictate what serves the story the best until the end of the season. That's sort of one of my broken record thoughts that I've had for the multitude of Rooster Teeth properties that we've talked about. But in this sense, I think it was a very suspenseful episode. While we did get a 
a, a whole lot of information. It wasn't done in the traditional way. It was a scene where we didn't know where James stood. And even when we think we do, Ruby changes the game, but the, it, like it just sort of builds upon itself. And it, it's, you know, it's not as suspenseful as the end of like Inglorious Bastards, but it was a, it was a different way to give us information to make us think critically and question what was going on. And I, I really enjoyed it. I don't have a problem personally with the heavy dialogue focused episodes. I think as long as it's good dialogue, I don't really have a problem with it. And it is a very anime thing for a show to do. And that has very much become a part of Ruby's identity. So I very much enjoyed it. Mark, I really liked what you had to say about this being a very suspenseful episode. Um, exposition, you know, sort of comes with the territory when it comes to anime. But sometimes in movies, like sometimes my favorite scene in certain films that are more suspense driven or um, horror driven or even action driven, like sometimes my favorite scenes in those movies are just two people sitting at a table and having a discussion. Um, so... We're waiting on the edge of our seat to just kind of piece together what Ironwood's been doing because he's very much been kind of working on his own autonomously all this time while Team Ruby has been on the road. And we're, we've been having to guess at his motives and intentions all this time. And Leo was so deceitful with how he presented himself to them that like, Team Ruby having to be on guard uh, this entire episode was really, really cool. And having to just sort of piece by piece kind of get what Ironwood is going for this whole time and only gradually kind of coming to the conclusion of like, was this a good idea to keep stuff from him and keep it close to the chest? We don't really know. Um, but first, uh, first and foremost, uh, before we, we really get into the meat of the episode, we we start off this episode um, in a jail car, essentially, yeah. in a police car. And um, we get a little exposition from a fellow convict, <laughs> which kind of sidebar, I kind of want this guy to be my hype man because he is just so enthusiastic about the things that he loves. And something that he loves is Robin Hill and her happy huntresses. Um, guys, so it looks like kind of what we were speculating last week about Robin Hill being an, a Robin Hood allegory um, or an analog is basically confirmed. And Happy Huntresses is probably the best thing I could have asked for when it comes to a Merry Men sort of parallel. Um, what was your reaction, Katie, when you heard that Robin Hill and the Happy Huntresses were fighting for Mantle? Okay, you know this dude just really, really wanted to be one of them and is so, so sad he can't. Like, you know that that has to be his life right now. And if he can't join them, he will hype them up like crazy to include throwing bricks at police cars because that gets the message out? Question mark? Like, y you tried? That said, I will be... I think I'll be a little bit more interested once we actually get to see her in action, meet the Huntresses, etc. Like, I'm on board, but now I want specifics. Stacy, 
Yeah, I uh, I have a lot of questions about her. Um, and just now talking about it, and then with the name The Happy Huntresses, I don't know why I'm kind of getting Artemis vibes as well. So, I, I know this is a very direct, like, Robin Hood <laughs> allegory here. Or very direct Robin Hood character, but I I like this um, this interesting play if she does have a team of just huntresses and where others who support her message fit in to that to her her uprising she is vying for a seat on the council hmm I will say it will make my goddamn life if one of her huntresses is a trans woman it would be Amazing. That would be very excellent. Would love to see that in Ruby. Yeah, that would be really cool. I don't. I don't Mark, think it's out what, of the realm of possibility. Yeah. What did uh, What did you think of this hype man hyping up the happy huntresses? So it makes me wonder hey. what. Um, we haven't met. I mean, it's two episodes and a sweet anime intro where we kind of have an idea of what Robin is all about, and we also have the preconceived notion of the Robin Hood comparison. But so far we haven't heard anything from Robin. So how much is what this guy is saying? How much, how much of what this guy is saying can be taken as gospel, so to speak. So he's happy to help out quote unquote by throwing a brick and happy to uh, just try to be a part of this movement and be, touted as a hero to all of mantle but what if robin hill's just trying to run a really honest campaign and all this stuff's coming out and it's a whole bunch of i I say a bunch of hearsay what if it's stuff that she didn't want to go public and so there's stuff that's being done in secret and like i we still haven't heard from robin yet and i'm very curious to see how robin will take all of it that that's I think the thing that I pulled from the scene the most. That and the one time back in college where I tried to be a member of Anonymous by doing something with my local paper. But other than that, that's really that's not that's really the whole story. But other than that, I, it but it made me <laughs> it it reminded me of like yeah I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna feel important and then nothing happened. So Aww. I have well, but it's it's I have a. a I identify with Forrest in the back of the uh, in the back of the the police car of just like I want to be important. Acknowledge me. <laughs> Notice me, senpai. So, so that's the thing is how much is is does Forrest just want to be counted amongst the happy huntresses, and how much of it is Robin just being like, I just gotta once I win this campaign, then I can start really doing some good. How much you want to bet the forest betrays her at some point? Yeah. He might not even be important enough to do that, but still. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that you heard it here first, folks. Mark Donica is an agent of chaos. <laughs> you say that like we didn't already know that? Or am I? Ooh. No, you are. Damn it. Oh, no. What do we think? <laughs> You've thrown us into um, chaos. Or did However I? However shall we handle an agent of <laughs> chaos on this podcast. Elizabeth, you're welcome back anytime. 
I I do uh, I I do love the idea that um, talking about like again what is out there about Robin right now, uh, and we'll get to it when we get to the Ironwood scene. But like it seems like a reoccurring theme. This volume is going to revolve around the truth and when it's appropriate to use the truth and when it's appropriate not to. And so the idea that Robin Hill may have something to hide or maybe is doing the opposite. Maybe she and Ironwood without realizing it are actually actively working towards the same thing, which is like full transparency in Atlas. So it'll be interesting to see what, what type of leader she is and what her approach to the truth will be. I would love to see her accidentally fall in with Watts. Ooh. Could you imagine? Yeah. Ah, that sounds awful. Oh, no. I know. That's what makes it so great and terrible. Oh, boy. Um, but uh, instead of going off to jail, our, our boys and girls get carted off to Atlas Academy. And the only reason I, I kind of want to take a stop and, and mention this is because I, I saw earlier this week a lot of people were making comparisons on Twitter to how Atlas looked, to how Beacon looked back in volume one. And the general consensus on Twitter seemed to be just freaking bravo to Kruby for how much, one, that they're capable of in the new engine and how far they've come in terms of their um, asset animation. Um, because Atlas Academy looks gorgeous. And so, yeah, just shout out real quick to Kruby and everybody on the animation team because uh, y'all have come a long way and it's it's incredible. Uh, did anybody have any particular thoughts uh, upon seeing Atlas Academy for the first time? Uh, let's start with Mark. It's a ghost town. Like, not necessarily <laughs> expecting it to be brimming with students, but holy cow, just it, it looks... Hmm. It looks way too empty. Like it, it, it looks just like a monument to, to excuse my language here. It looks like a monument to bullshit. Like, I, it's it's weird seeing a big school like this and the it being reminiscent of Volume One when it's teeming with life and now how oh how time has passed and how the tables have turned. Yeah. Um. It. You know, when we were when we were at Haven Academy, it was because all the students have basically like everybody's going on vacation now. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but here you very much kind of get the opposite feeling of like, oh, there are people here. It, it just feels like there's a curfew in order. Um, Katie, I don't know. What did you think of the Academy? I mean, they did kind of arrive in the middle of the night. That's Keeping fair. in mind that this these two episodes have been a continuation of the last, God, four, five, six episodes of the previous season. Like, this has been an extremely long day. So, no, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a curfew in place for a military academy. And they're getting this tour at, like, 11 o'clock or midnight after everyone else is, like, in rooms, lights out. Like, I would not be surprised for that to be the case. And it also explains why the kids were dragging so much. Mm -hmm. Like, 
They've had very, very long, emotionally taxing, physically taxing, completely cuckoo bananas day. Like they we need fought to a rest. robot today. <laughs> they fought a robot. They fought a crazed ex. They fought Grim. They fought a lot of things. They just they need to rest and they haven't had the chance yet. So you're right. It does look a little empty, but I legit think that it's really super late and everyone's in bed. Straight up. Right, right. <laughs> That's fair. Stacy, thoughts on Atlas Academy? I mean, yeah, it's, it's no beacon. You're not going to find students sneaking around at 1130 at night trying to get to the kitchens for some ice cream. Uh, which, <laughs> let's be real, Team Ruby was probably guilty of that uh, on many occasions. Probably. <laughs> but, no. Definitely. Definitely not at Atlas. Uh, <clears throat> and, yeah, let those poor kids rest. Uh, Atlas looked strict. It, it yeah. looks like a military academy. It feels like it. Uh, which, for for as you know, uncomfortable as our kids were going in, going in there, uh, it was an interesting contrast to see even like Winter and Penny how at ease they were, and the Aesops how at ease they were in this setting. When to us and through the eyes of Team Ruby, it's a very unwelcoming place. Yeah, it's cold and it's sterile and, yeah, a lot of hard edges. But to all of those characters, it's home. Um, So even though it's got, like, this cold, um, detached interior, like, you see Penny bouncing around and, like, so energetic and full of life, those two things kind of seem to be at odds a little bit. But, um... But yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's get to um, speaking of winter. We get uh, a sisterly reunion that we've literally been waiting years for, guys. It has been years since winter. Sh- I mean, she was in the white short at the beginning of volume five, but it has been years <laughs> since. Um, since we've seen Elizabeth Maxwell on screen again. And uh, it's just so, so good to see these sisters reunited. Mark, what did you think of finally getting Winter back in the show proper? I liked, even though Penny is our robot companion, Winter so far has had the most does not compute <laughs> sort of a moment. But it's um, it's nice that we had that sort of a tag of their relationship back in the white short. And it's, I would say it's kind of coming full circle of the, I I can't always be there to, to save you. And I think there's going to be an even bigger moment later in the season, but it's just, it's just nice. It's just plain nice. Yeah, I agree. Stacy. Yay, positive family relationships. <laughs> this was so sweet, though. Uh, and is it weird? I, I think it was even sweeter because Winter was in the middle of scolding her, was like, honestly irritated as all get out that Weiss was so reckless. And we just have Weiss. No, no, I'm, I'm just glad to see you. Aww. And sometimes I that's definitely- enough. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I definitely read that scolding as less I'm mad at you and more you could have died and I never would have known. The sort of anger that comes from you scared the living hell out of me. Why did you do that? 
And this is our first of two big hugs this episode, and it's, uh, it's nice. Hugging is good, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Hugging is good. Hugs are nice. Hugs are nice. Um, But yeah, I mean, Weiss left, um, she, she left... Uh, she left home specifically to like she's been trying to find her sister for a good long while. And at one point when she was kidnapped by bandits, yeah, she was like, well, you know, my sister will come and save me. And it's only after kind of getting uh, getting told that, no, no one's coming for you, that like she realized how alone she was until she met up back up with Team Ruby. So this this moment, first of all, it's great just to see Winter like look at other Atlas soldiers and be like, hey, you're treating our guest very disrespectfully. Uh, you have eight seconds to rectify that. And I've already started counting. Um, that, that was really sweet. And same. Um, the the interrupted interruption with a hug is is always something that gets to me in shows. So it was it was great to see. Um. So real quick, uh, before we get into like the real meat of the episode, which is this big conversation with Ironwood and his plans for the future. Before we do that, I just want to say thank you really quickly to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate and leave a comment. We love hearing from you. And it is it's such a joy getting to talk about this show again. And it's a joy getting to hear what you guys have to say about it, too. So uh, it really means a lot if you if you go to iTunes and you you do all that cool stuff. And that makes us more searchable on our new platform. It would really mean a lot to us if you took the time to go and do that. Um, And yeah, if you do, we'll give you a little shout out on the show. We don't have any new ones from last week. But guys, uh, yeah, go go do that and we will shout you out on the show. And um, something that's also a lot of fun is we have a Discord that we we keep in contact with uh, a lot of the Rooster Team community, I guess we could say. They're, they're a lot of fun. There's fan art forums. There's, you know, stuff to talk about Ruby. There's a lot of cool stuff. And the stuff that they come up with on the Discord is all sorts of bananas and so much fun. Um, so, yeah, go to iTunes. Go to the Discord. Join our conversation. It's so, so fun. And we can't say thank you enough. So thank you again, you guys. You guys are the best. All right. Let's talk about Ironwood. So, guys, Ironwood, I don't know about you. This is not at all the way I was expecting this interaction, this final, you know, this face-to-face that we've been waiting for for a long time. This was not at all the way I was anticipating it to go because, one, he has told Winter and Penny and the Aesops about the existence of the relic and about the maidens and it looks like ironwood's entire plan revolves around full disclosure about literally everything he knows about salem which probably isn't everything based on uh you know what we learned last season but it's still you know, it's still a lot more than the kids knew going into the previous season. So, uh, yeah, what did you guys, like, did this surprise you? Let's start with Stacy. I thought it was very jarring that 
his attitude was completely opposite of the picture that has been painted for us over not only throughout the first episode, but last season, too, of this deeply paranoid man who was retreating into himself, didn't trust anybody. And then we get here and no, no, he's very open with his team. It was surprising to me and it makes me very nervous. Same. <laughs> Same. Uh, and also, too, talking about, yeah, the, the, the how everybody's been saying he's paranoid and cold and heartless. He gave them such a warm reception. I like you really do get the sense that he's felt lost and alone for a long time. And so, yeah, this whole reunion was um, very, very surprising and also kind of heart wrenching in a way. Katie, what did you think? He's only fascist from the outside. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you talk about I Let's be real. When you start in Mantle, it looks pretty dang fascist. And then you go up there and you just see, this man is really, really tired. He needs a hug and a vacation and probably a couple of stiff drinks. He can get two of those from Crow. Uh, so he... Oof. I was not expecting a plan of full disclosure. And I'm wondering if that is part of the reason why it was, oh yeah, Osmond's not here right now. He kind of disappeared as opposed to, yeah, he's hiding because he mm, he's hiding right now. In addition to Salem is immortal. Like we've got Ruby lying about where Ozpin is, about how many questions Jin has left. And then nobody really mentions that whole, yeah, that whole defeating Salem thing. She's, uh, she's immortal. Not technically immortal. Straight up immortal. So these, I get the feeling that part of it was we don't know if we can trust him. And the other part of it was it will break him if he finds out. Like, this is a man who is closer to collapse than anyone would really like to admit and I think having the knees taken out from under him like that would just wreck him. Mark, what are your thoughts? This was rough. So I, I agree with, with both of y'all. Like, not what we were necessarily expecting, but at the same time, somebody who's tired and sees more than the same seven, seven people every day i'll ju i'll just go off of that because that's all we know the the aesops and penny in winter if if you just see them in a bunch of faceless soldiers all day and you you get some friends you get some some people that you actually get a chance to talk to who might believe you or, or accept your ideas no matter how uh out there or again we we don't know we don't know where his mental state is but i i'm just i'm just saying that this could have been a break for him where he he saw the positives and relished in them. But I don't think for a second that the general is turned off. Like, I think he has... He... Mark, are you talking about turning on the general? Excuse me. I would use the pro his proper name of uh, Iron Daddy if I was uh, <laughs> referencing that particular thing. But uh, the you know the militaristic part of his brain, where uh, every he tries to find an advantage in every situation, and and he's the leader of the school and military for a reason, 
and we've seen some of his tactics in action. And I think this is just sort of the beginning. I would like to think that this was just a nice reunion, but uh, when when Ruby said the said her little white lie, and he agreed, I immediately said, "Oh, he knows. He knows she's lying, right away." And he's already co- and he's already coming up with a counter with a counter plan. And there's a theory going around. I think it's come up in the Discord at least. But there's a theory going around that his hug to Crow was to put a uh, a bug on him. Oh, oh no! <laughs> See, yeah, that's not and, what I read that as at all. And exactly. <laughs> hey, remember who's writing this season? Eddie Revis. <laughs> oh Christ! You're right. <laughs> I just I I read that as holy shit. Here is another adult who. Well, so it's someone he's not in charge of who so is somebody, an adult who knows the story. It's as close as he gets to a friend. Something that I think validates that theory is when he finds out that uh, Oscar is in or that Ozpin is in Oscar, and he goes right up to him. And I thought that was going to be a moment where, oh, sure, he comes and he has this moment and he needs Ospin for something because it's hard to not look past the intro. And I know we, we talk about the intro all the time for not necessarily being the most accurate, but we don't know if it's sort of a re- physical representation of a mental fight that he's going to have with Oscar or Ospin or whatever. But I thought that w- he was going to take that opportunity to uh to possibly bug oscar as opposed to crow thinking about it after the fact i've gone way off megan but either way hi (laughs) (laughs) that's oh god every corner is conspiracy corner when mark is here (laughs) even if the room is round I I didn't hear anything after discussion about turning on Ironwood. So Megan's <laughs> back there fixated. I didn't hear anything, but I felt everything. <laughs> but um to to that point, Mark, what you were saying about your the the theory that Ironwood knows that Ruby is being deceitful. Um I did want to get your guys's take on Ruby's choice here because um every everybody says that they'll follow her lead but a big sticking point at uh last volume and actually over the course of the last several volumes is this emphasis on on Ozpin being a liar and i again we we know that like again if we're looking at the wizard of oz parallels that the wizard is a liar that is inherent in the source material and it is inherent to his character and Oz, even though his intentions are good, he ultimately is a liar and that lost the trust of a lot of people over the years and the, the lack of, you know, transparency uh, definitely led to a lot of people being kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, like, hit when they were hit with the truth they were completely sidelined by it Mm. um and so it's interesting uh there was a bit of fan art i saw going around after the after the episode dropped this weekend uh louise stonehill at stonehill 
on Twitter posted a really cool bit of fan art of Ruby holding on to the Relic of Knowledge and with uh, an incarnation of Ozpin standing behind her um, and they're standing back to back together. And this person posted, you know, how does it feel to be like the the heroes in books? And that is what Ruby has always wanted to be, you know, when she first started this journey. And now she is ostensibly the protagonist and ultimately is making a very similar choice to someone whose choice, who, as he claims, has made more mistakes than any other human on Earth. So in terms of choosing to to be very careful with what they disclose to Ironwood, is this a good strategy? Is this a bad strategy? Is this going to backfire on them? Or are they right for being careful? Let's start with Katie. Yes, they're right for being careful. I'd say it's a good strategy, and it's absolutely going to backfire on them. This is Ruby. Like, that's how this show works. <laughs> That's that's just how the show works. Like I, I go back to, yes, you make these decisions partially because you're still not sure you can trust him because, oh boy, did you get suckered by Leo getting pulled in and you can't guarantee that Ironwood hasn't done the same. And partially because, yeah, they already pointed out, even when they were just looking at the projections in the previous episode, he looks tired. And we all saw Crow, who was stupidly loyal to Oz, go utterly to pieces when he found out bits of the truth that he did not already know. So let's not do that with Ironwood because Crow wasn't running a country at the time and Ironwood definitely is. So I can see both sides on both reasons for that decision. Why not to tell him that? Again, with the lamp, don't tell him there are questions left. He'll use them. And we already know how can you, how do we beat Salem? You can't. Is a, Or how do we destroy Salem? You can't is a thing, and then a waste of a question. Like, I can see why she did what she did. I agree with the motivations, but of course it's going to come back and bite them because that's how Ruby works. You bring up an excellent point of pulling up Ruby's track record and how much it's broken my heart. So <laughs> good good point there, Katie. Stacy, what do you think? I mean, this was one of Ruby's biggest forays into being a leader as far as the impact that it has on the larger plan and the larger state of the world and having so much information and so many things being thrown at her over you know over the past volume over the past like couple days in her case I do not blame her in the slightest for being very guarded with this information very interesting a, the way that she worded it, and B, the way that everyone kind of reacted to it. Uh, I feel like that may cause a little strife. Uh, however, I don't think anyone was really sure about fully trusting Ironwood yet. So I see, I mean, still nervous. <laughs> so I don't blame <laughs> Ruby for being nervous. And Mark, since you initially brought it up, I'm guessing... Uh, I'm guessing that you're like, no, you're in the right, kid. <laughs> you keep that close to the chest. I, I think it was wise to not show their cards. Like, I, I agree with everybody else. Do I think it's going to bite them in the ass? Of course. But 
I don't think it's going to have any long lasting ramifications. Um, because I think in a similar vein, James was ready for the eventuality that he may not, he may not be able to entirely control the situation like he wants to. Uh, and I, as we were talking, I just came up with another crackpot theory that yes. his, so Ruby's sign of trust, a, a, a sign of trust from Ruby was to, uh, sort of quote, confirm the information that James already knew about the lamp. And so James in kind, knowing that she wasn't telling the truth, uh, if, so from a line a little bit later, uh, James says it's it's time to get your weapons up to Atlas like quality whatever blah blah blah. Um, so they have a manufactory and it's it's sort of a military factory whatever it could be a three D printer who knows. Um, the lamp that Ironwood gave Ruby isn't the real lamp. Ooh. That's. That, I mean, the thing that we know about the Staff of Creation is that it's <gasps> here somewhere. And what if he used the Staff of Creation to create a fake lamp? Oh, my God. So that he can have... he Here, all right, kid. And, and so that could play into either or of Ruby goes to use the last question, proving that Ironwood was right, or they don't have any questions left and so it's just a bobble and so by giving her a fake then either way it would play into his paranoia and, and in parentheses my paranoia <laughs> i think this is mostly your paranoia at work Damn. here mark can you blame him though with this show i know plenty about paranoia <laughs> <laughs> And I say, that's awesome. If we have a moment where somebody tries to call upon Jin and nothing happens, holy shit, that would be amazing. Sorry for the spoiler later in the season, everyone. But to <laughs> quote to quote Katie from just a few minutes ago, this is Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> you are not wrong, my dude. You are not wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, wow. Do we have any other thoughts on uh, the conversation uh, the, between Ruby and Ironwood and sort of this whole full disclosure, but not really tactic that one of them seems to be taking or potentially both of them? <laughs> um, well, I, something that I didn't that I didn't get to say earlier is it didn't surprise me that Iron or it didn't. I don't find it weird that Ironwood told people because here we are a group of nine that were told by an authority figure. So while it's, he told them like, we're following a group of kids that were told this thing by somebody in a similar situation. So it, it, it doesn't, or I, yeah, brain, it makes sense to me. You know, Raven didn't necessarily tell Vernal everything, but, um, yeah, like it it makes sense yeah uh speaking of raven we get a couple other uh tidbits 
uh, amongst this conversation. One is that the staff of creation is supposedly in the vault. Whether or not they've used it <laughs> to create another false relic, that's uh, that's another thing entirely. That's a big old question mark. But um, the Winter Maiden is stable, is, is the choice of words that they picked. Uh, does that... Does that mean that the Winter Maiden is old or if maybe she's in a similar situation to Amber? Well, they straight up said she was old. Yeah. The follow up was no spring chicken. So the idea is that she's an older woman. (laughs) She is in the winter of her prime. Uh, All right. Hold on. I have to to say this. I have to say this with a straight face. Hmm. Go for it. Spring Maiden is a chicken confirmed. (laughs) I mean, I think. You're not, you're not wrong. Okay, because but chicken ra- faunus. No, <laughs> Raven okay. ran away, guys. She is a chicken. Oh, <laughs> bok, bok, motherfuckers. <laughs> Here it is. You're here oh. first. Mark, that was foul. I'm so tired. Oh, what's happening Stop. to me? <laughs> Stop, please. She's winging it. Okay, we need to stop. <laughs> okay, we're canceling this recording. This is this needs to be stopped. I'm uh, Apologies to any uh, cast and or crew that may be listening. Oh God, uh, no. sorry. Own it. <laughs> you ain't sorry for anything. I'm sorry for everything. No, you're not. You wish you were. Um. Okay, guys. So uh, <laughs> that uh, that about does it in terms of the the big. Uh, everything that we discover from this. Oh, wait, no, there is one more big thing, and that's restoring communication to the rest of the kingdoms. With a satellite. Now, I guess the big question here is, you know, if they manage to launch, like, are we going to have a moment where we are defending a rocket ship from a bunch of Grimm who are trying to stop it from launching. I'm just wondering if we're going to get like the climax to the movie Promare. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, the ship is trying to take off. We're trying to stop it. Or there are bad guys trying to stop it. What a timely reference. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's coming back into theaters in December. Don't you start. No, no, that was a legitimate comment. What a timely reference. (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, but I like that the um, I'm, I'm wondering, like, obviously, this is a huge, huge, that would be a huge accomplishment to restore communication to the remaining kingdoms. We've kind of joked time and again about how the old system was designed to fail basically and um and ironwood even says like antiquated is the the was the nice choice of words that he uses there's a technological term or maybe this is just a term in life single point of failure essentially if any one thing goes wrong you're hosed. The previous system was definitely a single point of failure system. It had to be a massive failure. The whole tower had to go down, but it did. Sadly, what Ironwood's planning is also a single point of failure system because it is a single satellite as opposed to multiple. But then again, one, how are you going to get multiple? And two, yeah, getting it out of reach of just about everyone except for maybe a god deciding to return to earth in the same way that he left it is uh it's a pretty solid strategy 
So yeah, still single point of failure, but um, much harder to fail. Hey, he learned his lesson, but just did one. he? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I what I wanted to ask you guys because like this whole thing was sort of kicked off by the baddies making sure that everybody watching the Vital Festival saw something really upsetting. What if the plan isn't to stop Ironwood? from, like, reestablishing communications, what if the plan is to let him succeed and then take control of those communications and instead of Ironwood getting to sort of, you know, break the news to everybody as gently as possible, if instead they're like, and now we are going to go to our live feed from the Dragon Continent. Salem, would you like to FaceTime with everyone? <laughs> Hi, everyone! I'm immortal, and I'm a destroy your planet. <laughs> she is extra enough to absolutely go for that. But she is old <laughs> enough to not understand technology. <laughs> are we ready can i talk do they see me she like flips the camera to the other side and you see like uh emerald just like no 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 don't, just turn it turn around and then it walks just like to the left to the left your other left this Thank is you. this yes, is why pointed. i left the dragon continent <laughs> yeah i just i have some tech rants for when we really talk about watts in a little bit um but my main question about this like knowing that there is a satellite that will be going into space guys let's uh, just i want to take a poll real quick and we'll start with you mark can grim survive in space i i I was about to say space grim like (laughs) like if if the grim are this uh sort of not necessarily an offshoot of I, I can't brain today. Um, if the Grim uh, are a result of the two gods, the the god of darkness and and whatever, uh, then I think it's entirely possible with the connection to the other planet that somewhere in between there could be a possibility for the creation of Grim. And if this satellite is up in the air, then all of those thoughts of people calling concerned or everybody freaking out could possibly be air, not, eh, not aired and sound can't travel in space, but who knows this is magic and anime. So if, uh, if there's any sort of a possibility for those feelings to be broadcast from the satellite, then I think it's entirely possible that Grimm could show up. I have this image in my brain of Ublek doing that History Channel meme going, aliens. <laughs> because I have this image of him doing that for Alien Grim. I would like to point out the thing that we saw at the very end of last season in which Salem now has flying monkeys <laughs> and say that maybe it's not quite out of reach as, she, as everyone thinks it might be. Just saying, flying monkeys. Yeah, I was going to say, Sailor may not ha- know how to work a broadcast, but she sure as hell is working on Space Grim. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> they're just, they're, they're space side. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> we will put a Huntress on the broken moon by the end of the decade. <laughs> we, will, we will put a Huntress on that piece of the moon and that piece of the moon and that piece of the moon, etc. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Okay, we should wrap it up. I'm losing my mind. Well, uh, something something that I wanted to point out back in Conspiracy Corner. But uh, but first, really quickly, uh, in our Discord, Nick is wombat ready, uh, is concerned that if they use the Amity... Name. Great, great name. Uh, if Amity Arena is becoming a satellite, does that mean that there's no more tournament? To which I would answer... I think there's a little bit more important things going on right now than than having the the tournament, the vital festival tournament. Tournament in space. Space tournament. <laughs> yes, that will go over. Or you yeah. can always just build another arena. Yeah. It doesn't have to float. No, It'll no, probably no. no. It'll probably be on the site of the final battle or something, blah blah blah. Um but I I wanted to add one more conspiracy to uh, to my long long list. Bring it. Go for it. Um, Round it out. When, when he brought up the projection of Amity Arena, the first thing I said was, oh, my God, they're going to weaponize it. <laughs> and, and ultimately, they, they could. There's a lot of dust crystals keeping that thing in the air. And if they have whatever they were going to do broadcast, you could get – it's entirely possible, and we're talking about fantasy science here um, – I, I think that it's in the cards that Ironwood will secretly weaponize that just in case they need it. It's an arena. Nuke the whole planet it's... from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I keep thinking back to my history class and when the space race, you know, when we were studying the space race and quite literally, like, people were legitimately talking about some sort of war within the stars. Boo. Like some sort of star boo. war. Boo, I'm going to boo you. Like, uh, like, that's a fascinating idea of, like, maybe part of his actual plan is to use this satellite to, yeah, nuke the dragon continent from orbit. Yeah. It's kind of brilliant. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, we do have one more beat of this episode to touch on before, before we wrap it up with our final thoughts. Uh... Watts and Tyrion have officially made their way into Atlas, and it looks like that the, like, obviously we kind of got it confirmed from the opening, but it looks like Watts is the reason why uh, he was able to hack into their system, not necessarily because he's a master hacker, but because he helped write the system, which... Um, both. Yes, both of those things. Um... But uh, that go ahead, that like sort of cements exactly what they were suspecting of like this was done by one of our own. So that makes me wonder how how much of like being in the inner circle is Watts. And if I were to go ahead and throw out a theory, I think maybe he is a council member. I disagree. Whoa. I don't think he's that far up. I think he might. I think if he was a council member, he straight up would have been recognized walking around because people did see him while he was walking around down in uh, Mantle. I don't think he was a council member. I do think he's smart and he's got his hands in the code. And I also think this is the point where I want to scream a little bit about things from the tech side because the the comment that got me wasn't we just keep mobile we don't want to hide out this and that and the other the comment that got me was cybersecurity was upgraded in atlas but there are no upgrades in mantle per usual this is unbelievably stupid 
from a network security point of view. Your, the security of your network, the security of your system is only as good as its weakest link. It doesn't matter how good the computers are, how good the operating systems are. It's going to be that one machine that's still on Windows 98 that's somehow connected to the internet. That's the one that's going to bring the whole thing down because that is the back door and that's what you're looking for. So failing to upgrade the systems in Mantle, for one, the fact that this is an as usual thing tells me that, yeah, we've got some Final Fantasy VII saucers going on down here. So uh, eventually that city is going to fall because Final Fantasy VII taught me many things and expecting the worst was definitely one of them. But another is that, yeah, the people up top really, really don't care and it is going to come back to bite them because all of Mantle's systems are a massive backdoor to everything in Atlas. It helps that Watts wrote the code, but honestly, you get someone smart enough with programming and they don't have to have written the map in order to be able to follow it. Like, this is really, really stupid from a cybersecurity point of view, and I cannot believe that nobody upstairs caught it. Holy shit, Atlas, get your act together. <laughs> so I do IT for a living. <laughs> Stacy, what do you think? Council member, uh, tech support, or both? See, I think that Watts is very high up or was very high up, but I do not think he was a public-facing figure. I think he very much was in the shadows, definitely had his hands in the code, probably pretty deep, uh, but not... He doesn't particularly strike me as the kind who wants to be noticed by the public in any way, shape, or form like that. I would love it if it turned out he was a lot like his literary analog, and if he it turned out he wasn't a doctor, if, and that he was just a college dropout. Hmm. Um, <laughs> who happens that would to be make good at coding, yeah. That would make me laugh. Uh, Mark, uh, what do you think? I, I think it's entirely possible that he is a computer genius to the point where he's created deep fake technology for himself to appear as somebody else, or he has people that he controls. Like he, he may not be a direct member of the council, but he could own a member of the council to essentially act in his stead. He doesn't have to be anywhere. He's in the cloud, baby. <laughs> that's it. That's his official catchphrase now. I'm in the cloud, baby. There it is. Gonna strike like a lightning bolt. I'll take it. What? <laughs> well, I think that just about does it for, for this particular episode. Um, guys, do we have any final thoughts or any other any other things you wanted to bring up before we wrap it up for tonight? Yeah. Please do your Windows updates. Yeah. <laughs> Stacy. Oh, man. Uh, we're still at that point. We're being asked to trust so many different ideas, so many different pieces of technology, so many different people that it's a very confusing time and really, really puts... Uh, our trust to test. We didn't. Mark? We didn't talk about the Aesops at all. We didn't. I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, it was not. <laughs> I totally spaced it. Um, but yeah, we get introduced to the Aesops, and they are delightful. 
Oh my goodness. Mark, what did you think? So I wanted to thank um, Gigawatt Conduit in our Discord. I, I put up a thing in our first releases, which is sort of one of our spoiler threads about what people wanted us to talk to. And they, uh, Gigawatt Conduit in particular, asked uh, uh, us to talk about the Aesops and their parallels and who our fave is. And so I'll extend that once I'm done. But um, I, I like we got just a little bit of each person and what little we did get sort of gave a clue of which story they represent. And uh, I, I think by knowing that they're, or assuming that they're trustworthy and they're like we were saying last week, they're lawful good. I think that there can be a lot of quote fun and or antics to be had. I concur wholeheartedly. Um, so yeah, let's go through and name them. Clover Ebby is the leader. Elm Ederney, I think is how you pronounce that. Mero Amon, Harriet Bree, and Vine Zeki. Uh, yeah, these guys look like they're going to be a lot of fun. Katie, what did you think of the Aesops? I love Elm. She's amazing. And I adore her. Best. <laughs> Stacy. I love being surprised by the team dynamics, uh, especially with this group. Uh, I don't know that I expected them to to kind of explode with personality as much as they did. Uh, and I'm weirdly obsessed with Vine. I know, right? Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his, his, theirs was the most... Like, I've, I've been looking... Uh, I've I've been sort of flipping who um I, who I think is who and Vine is so the the only thing that I'm getting from them is that they're a grasshopper character because grasshopper is related to the martial arts and he looks like a monk it's so like that's that's the only thing that's kind of uh in in my head about him but i do i do have some theories about the other ones well i don't know about necessarily gra i mean entirely possible that he's a grasshopper character but i was actually looking at him more as a pair with harriet i'm like oh it's the tortoise and the hare i did think about I that i don't too. know i don't know if that's accurate <laughs> <laughs> only time will tell um yeah these these guys are so much fun. I, I'm really excited to see what, what the season has in store for them. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. These guys were great. I loved meeting them. They're so, so cute. And I, um, which one, which one is our faunus out of the group? Well, there, it seems Narrow. like there's two. Oh yeah. The, uh, the, uh, specifically the, the one we were estimating was a wolf. That's Mero. Yeah, that's that's Mero. Yeah. And, uh, and Harriet. <laughs> I think my favorite I think my favorite moment of meeting the Aesops was the moment where he was being soon soon dare dare and his tail was wagging. And it made me go, Mark, if your theory about him being a wolf in sheep's clothing is true, it's gonna break my heart. <laughs> because he seems like a good, good boy. <laughs> It's, so, it's a twist on the story. He's actually just really loving and sweet. Which gave me a different theory for him. Ooh. What if Ooh. what if instead he's the boy who cried wolf? 
Oh. Oh. That's a plot. Or to subvert the expectation, he's a sheep in wolf's clothing. And really on the inside, he's just soft and fluffy. He's just a soft boy. He's a good, good boy. This is the content I'm here for. Ruby Redux, where we talk about soft boys. Yes. And Iron Woods. Mm. And Iron Daddies and turning on the general and all sorts of other fun stuff. Um, okay. I think, I think that's it for the night. Any other final thoughts before we, we sign off? I, I think you just join our discord because there is, there's so much more that we could have talked about that. We'll, uh, we'll just discuss with you directly. So make sure to join us there. Yeah. Join our discord. Uh, definitely again, leave an iTunes rating comment. Ah, we love hearing from you guys. We will definitely give you a shout out. And speaking of signing off, we used to have a sign off, uh, when we were on our other platform, we used to say dust you later, but now that we're doing a completely different show, we were wondering if maybe we should do a completely different sign off. So if you guys go to our discord, we want to hear your suggestions for our new sign off when we wrap up a given episode uh so yeah without further ado uh katie where can people go if they want to find you you can follow me all over the social medias as well as on youtube and twitch at kiajay that is k-i-a-x-e-t if you like reaction videos to these episodes they live on that channel stacy you can find me all over the web at Stacy Shuttles. Uh, if you keep an eye on my social, I'm finally starting to plan a new cosplay. It may or may not be Ruby related. Mark? Oh, I don't know. That just got me real hype. Um, <laughs> I know, right? I'm so excited. <laughs> so did all of the sheer adorableness of Nora in this episode. She was a, a flippin' champion and, and just comedy queen. Fantastic. Um, I have some theories about who the... Uh, the Aesops are. I'm not going to say them here. I'll, I'll just say them in Discord because that'll probably be a little bit easier. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, and Instagram at Mark B. Donica. I also do a theme park podcast with my wife. Uh, we're having a bit of a hiatus right now just because uh, we've had a lot of visiting parties within the past couple of weeks and entertaining them and being good hosts is a little bit more important uh, than uh, talking about Disneyland. Though, Oh boy, do we have to scratch that itch. So make sure to check us out at Party of Two Pod. <laughs> and I'm Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at The Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. I also do a YouTube channel called Silver Screams if you're interested in uh, horror things. I do a podcast called No Love Lost, which is a lost retrospective podcast where my co host Love Lo- loves Lost and I don't. And we discuss. Uh, and be sure to follow the whole team at The Rooster Team on uh, the social medias. And be sure to check out our Tea Public store, all that fun stuff. So, yeah, guys, we want to hear your theories. We want to hear your suggestions for our sign offs. And we want to hear from you. So, thank you guys so, so much for listening. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>